0: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Buckelow. Hi, my name is Ty Nickelberry, and today we're going to talk about a three part series. Number one is Who is God? Who are we? And also, what is the gospel? But today we're going to focus on this question, who is God? And I'm going to look at Psalm 19 to kind of get us started. But first of all, when we think about God, I mean, there are a lot of things that come to mind. I mean, if we were to ask the average person on the street and ask them, who is God? And many times you might get a reply, well, he's the guy in the sky. Or you might have, and I've seen this with people in their t-shirts, it says, Jesus is my homeboy. And unfortunately, those things um, create inaccurate view of who God is. But if we want to come to a real understanding of who God is, we have to look at the Word of God. So today, I'm going to start off by reading Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and I'm going to look at verses 1 through 6. And it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its courts. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And the first thing that I want to kind of point out here is what we call general revelation. God is disclosing, or should I say, the work of His hands or the heavens. It's telling, it's communicating that there is a God. For instance, when you look at a painting, you know that the painting just did not create itself. It points that there is an actual painter. Well, same thing when we look at the design of God or the creation of God. When we look at the heavens, when we look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of the hosts of them, so to speak, we see that that says that there is a designer and that he is God. But the unfortunate thing about what we call general revelation is that it's not sufficient to have an accurate view of who God is. And this is why we need special revelation. We need special revelation. Look at, I'm going to read it. Verse 7. Again, Psalm 19, but I'm going to start at verse 7. And it says The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honey. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what we see here is special revelation. This is God's word given to mankind that we might know who God is. And what you see here, starting at verse 7, it says the law of the Lord. And then it says the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. And it also talks about the judgments of the Lord. These are God's ways that man should live by. It is the means by which man can have a relationship with God. But it's also important that we understand that these um, commandments, these laws, they don't in and of themselves make us have a right relationship with God. We have to remember that this Um, particular people, the, the children of Israel, or through Moses or the Mosaic Covenant, they were given laws, precepts, and commands. God had extended grace to a particular people, revealing himself to them, thus causing them to have a relationship with God. It wasn't because they did X, Y, and Z, or they followed all the rules that they had this relationship with God. Rather, it was God reaching out to them, giving him his laws and rules, and that they were to walk in a sense of obedience to him. They were extended grace. A free will offering, since our free grace gift given to them. And their response was to walk in the precepts and the commands of God. But in these precepts and in these commands, it described, it gave a picture of who God was. I also want to touch on some other things when we talk about God as well, because there are many attributes that we can talk about God, there are many characteristics. About God. Um, We have, you hear a lot of theologians, they'll say things about the, the characteristics or the attributes or the perfections of God. And some of these are communicable and some of these are incommunicable. Incommunicable attributes are the attributes that man does not share with God. So, for instance, God is eternal, meaning that he is without beginning and he is without end. There is this word in theology called aseity meaning that God is self-existent. We also see in scripture that God is immutable. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen, it says that, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not make it good? In other words, God does not change, he's immutable. We also see that God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. So for instance, if we were to look at the very beginning of the Bible and it says, in the beginning, God, and he created the heavens and the earth. And if we were to look at Colossians, it talks about Christ, who is also God, says that he sustains the world by the word of his power. The reason why we have seed time and harvest, the reason why we experience day and night sunlight is because God is all powerful he controls it all. Also, we can think about the communicable attributes of God. And those are attributes that uh, we may share as man with God. And those are things such as love. And I'm not thinking about a romantic love, but I'm talking about being selfless and being able to love someone without having this other motive, this sense of justice, um, this sense of um, what is right. Um, um, And the reason why we have that is because, again, we're created in the image of God, so we want a sense of justice. But again, because we're not perfect like God, (laughs) our righteousness, our justice, our love, it's always going to be tainted because of sin. But there's more that I want to talk to specifically, and that's one is a characteristic of God, and that is holiness. There's so many things we can talk about God, but I think it's really important that we understand the holiness of God. And in Hebrew, it's called kadosh. For instance, if I was to read Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, it says, "'Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness?' awesome in praises, working wonders. And you see right there that God, He's different. He's set apart. He's, he's not like any of us. He is to be revered. He's awesome. He's great. He's something other. And so we are to understand that God is absolutely holy. But there's more. In First Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, "'There is no one holy like the Lord.'" Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. In Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. God is holy. And because God is holy, are set apart, knowing that he's also perfect, perfect in righteousness, perfect in truth, perfect in justice. When we look to God, he is the standard, not any of us. And so, when we communicate, or when we want to come to God, we have to come to Him in, the, in His prescribed manner. We just can't come to God with just any type of offering or any type of praise or worship. We have to worship Him in the prescribed way that He has given through His Son, Jesus Christ. For instance, if we were to look at the book of Leviticus, Leviticus, it's an Old Testament book. It's one of the uh, books of Moses. It's the third book, And the major theme in that book is holiness. Like 50 times it says or commands the people of Israel, they are to be holy. But in that sense of holiness, they were given a way or a means how to worship God. They could not just come with just any type of worship. For instance, if you were to look at um, the priesthood like Aaron, he had two sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, and they offer strange fire before the Lord. And because they offer strange fire, they die right there on the spot. And of course, Aaron, their father, he's probably upset with it. But Moses says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must get the glory. Similarly, in the same time, when we come to God, we have to come to him in a way that's going to respect and display this sense of knowing that God is holy. He's set apart. But there's also more. Again, there's so many things that we can talk about. When we talk about God, but it's also important that we understand that God is a trinity. Um, This word trinity or triunity means that God is um, three persons, but yet he's one essence. Philip Schaff, he says this about the trinity. He says the doctrine or the teaching of the trinity, simply put, is that God is absolutely and eternally one essence, subsisting in three distinct and ordered persons without division and without replication of the essence. God is three, but yet one essence. For instance, the Father. We see this in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 6, verse 57, it says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who sent eats me, that is Jesus speaking, he also will live because of me. Again, I'm just trying to illustrate the distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, but the Son, that is Jesus, he's also God. If we look at John chapter 1, verses 1-5, through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let me look at John chapter 1 verses 12 through 14. It says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in the same, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what you see in that passage is that you see the word that is Jesus. It says he became flesh. And that's what we talk about, the incarnation of the Son. Jesus is God. If we look at John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas, one of the apostles, he responds and he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. But also we can look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what is interesting about that passage is that Paul is quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And if we were to look at the Hebrew in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, that word for Lord is God's name, Yahweh. In other words, Paul, the apostle, is ascribing The divinity of Jesus, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord or whoever calls upon Jesus, essentially is calling upon God. In other words, very simply, Jesus is God. But third, we also see that the Holy Spirit is also God. Um, He's not a force, as some people would say. He's not um, some man. He's not something. He is a person. He is a third person of the Trinity. And we get this example, or we see this clearly in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, or um, well, this is Peter speaking, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, I'm going to go right back here. He says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And at the very end of that, he says to Ananias, You have not lied to man. Ananias, you have lied to God. So the Holy Spirit also is God. So we see that God is a trinity. Kind of getting back to the understanding of that God is holy. Yeah, he's separate, he's different. This is beyond our comprehension. But. Through the scriptures, God reveals and discloses himself to us. That way, we are able to worship him in a way that is going to be pleasing to him. You know, I think there's one other point I want to talk about as well when we're talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that is that they are distinct. Some will say things like, well, God has different modes, meaning that, okay, at one point, he's the Father, at another point, he's the Holy Spirit, at another point, he is the Son. And that's what um, we have called that 's modalism, and that has been condemned early in the church history back in the day. Um, but what you see, again, if I was to look at Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, you see the d- three distinct people in the same setting. Matthew chapter three, sixteen and seventeen says, after being baptized, that is Jesus being baptized. Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove in lighting. On him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what you see in this passage is you see all three persons of the Trinity. The Father, this is my Son, Jesus, who is being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and lighting upon Jesus. We see all three persons of the Trinity at the same time. So they are distinct, not modes, but they're all three at the same time. So, and we also can see this Trinitarian work also in the Book of Ephesians. So, for instance, if you we see the Father who choose, chose us, or that is Christians, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter one verse four. We also see the redemption of the elect that's, that is in the Son. We see that in Ephesians chapter one verse seven. But also we see the sealing of the Holy Spirit as a down payment in Ephesians chapter one verse eleven. All three persons of the Trinity has work in our salvation, that is, salvation for those who call themselves Christians. But I guess to sum up, when we, talk, when we think about God, one of the things I hope that you're taking away is that God is absolutely holy. He is incomprehensible. We can't comprehend everything about God. But one of the things that we can remember is that once we die, that is Christians, once we die, we don't necessarily just go to the grave and sit there. No, we're going to see God face to face. And we have this hope. And so I want to read this passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And it says, Beloved, and this is again addressed to Christians. Now, we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see him just as he is. So my conclusion, this is who God is. And again, what I want you to take away from it is that God is holy. He's a trinity. And if we are to come to God or worship God, it has to be in spirit and truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. If we want a relationship with God, we have to go through his son. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Ty Nickelberry. But please stay tuned for our next episode of the series, Who Are We?